So I invite you, let's take our Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. So today we're going to look at Luke and we're going to camp out in the Gospel of Luke for three Sundays and study um, prayer in the life of Jesus and prayer, how Jesus has relied on prayer, taught about prayer in the Gospel of Luke. So we're going to open at Luke chapter 4 from verse 14. And we're going to look at various passages. So it's not, this is a, not like an expositional sermon where we take a, a, a portion of text, a sermon, or, or portion of the scriptures and just give you the main point of it. Rather, we're going to look at various scattered verses and see what we can learn about prayer together. So this is not what we normally do, but we just want to step back a little bit from our series in Mark and our series in Ephesians and just prepare our hearts for this whole year. I really feel this is what we need to do to prepare ourselves for 2021. Um, and before we read anything, let's just pray together and humble ourselves before our God. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you that in Christ alone, our hope and our strength is, be, is to be found. Thank you that Christ is our Savior, our Lord, our Master, and that we can be His servants, His slaves, and His brother and sister, Lord, that you have redeemed us by the precious blood of your Son. Father, we long to be together. We long to gather in person where we can hear one another's voices, where we can see one another's faces, where we can pray together and sit corporately under your word and partake of the Lord's Supper together. So, Father, we pray that you would please make a way and help us to gather soon by your mercy and your grace. And I pray in the meantime, Father, help us to be faithful, help us to be humble before you. Help us not to judge one another, Lord, for our various different conclusions about the virus and about how different churches have decided to to handle this issue of the lockdown or not lord father please give us a gracious heart like christ give us mercy like christ help us to to look to christ alone for all of our needs and father we pray for our government we pray for that you will please give wisdom and strength to our government. Help them, Lord, to make decisions for the good and the well-being of our whole country. And I pray that they will also have the needs of the church on their hearts and their minds. And help them, Father, to do what they do for your name's sake. Because you are the one who have placed them in power and in authority. So, Father, please give us as a church and as Christians wisdom and humility to submit ourselves under the government for your name's sake. Father, we pray for the virus. We pray for the doc our doctors and hospitals. Father, please, we pray for that you will be merciful to us as a country. May our healthcare system be expanded, be strengthened, protect our healthcare system from infection, Lord, that they can keep on serving our people um, in South Africa to to be well and to be. And I pray that many lives will be spared and and saved through our doctors. Lord, please give them supernatural strength father in this time to to do more than what is expected and what they are able to do and father in the meantime while we wait i pray help us to 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 really devote ourselves to prayer father use this sermon to teach us and show us how we should pray what we should do how, help us to recommit ourselves father to prayer and to the discipline of solid solitary prayer and praying throughout the day and praying in the holy spirit so, Father, please fill me with your spirit right now. Give me grace, and I pray that I will preach for your glory alone. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, beloved, as I've said, as I was on holiday, um, one thing that, I was, that was constantly on my heart was this question. How can we start this new year well? How can we start the new year well, both as Clagsdorp and Porch? What, what should we be thinking about? What should we be doing what should we believe to set the tone for the rest of 2021? Now, I believe that answer is prayer. Prayer. We need to humble ourselves before God, both individually and corporately as a church. Prayer is one of those topics that if I say the following sentence, you would immediately feel guilty. And that's this sentence. How much did you pray last week? Boom. Guilt overflows, right? And, beloved, that includes me as well. This past week has been a bad week for me spiritually. The devil has constantly reminded me of this fact of my failure to pray. 
And he said to me, how can you preach a sermon on prayer if you yourself are not praying as you ought to? And that has been a strong temptation for me to, to abandon this and just to do something else. But beloved, I'm convinced that sometimes we come to the Word of God, not because, oh, I preach the Word of God, not because I myself have mastered the, the sermon or in my own life, but rather that I come as a fellow saint, a fellow sinner to sit under the Word of God. So this sermon is as much for me as it is for you. I too need to be changed by God's Word, even right now while I'm preaching. And I know that the struggles that I had and the struggles of my failures will be common to you because the Bible says there's no temptation that's overtaken me, Pastor Rian. That is not common to you, to all Christians all around the world. So I want to just be open with that as well and share that and encourage you with that as well. So I want to start by just saying that my goal in these sermons on prayer is, is yes, it is to expose our sinful tendencies of prayerlessness. But more so to, to point you to the grace of God. I want to point you to his grace to repent and to obey. So this sermon, if you only feel guilty after these sermons, I would have counted these sermons a failure. I, yes, I want you to feel guilty over, over your sins. But I more so want you to feel hope about God's grace and practical ways of how to solutions of how to pray and how to pray better. And that's what I that's what I hope. I will achieve by God's grace through these sermons. And by the way, I want to invite you as well. And some of you don't know this, but we as a church have decided to fast and pray on these three Sundays. So we're fasting and praying over these three Sundays for and seeking God's face over our families, over the government, over the coronavirus, over the hospitals, over our churches and church leaders, over evangelism and the lost and the economy and the poor to really seek God in earnest prayer for these things and if you would like to join us for that please do please join us for fasting and praying on these following three the next two sundays as well now if you cannot fast for some reason maybe a physical reason or maybe some other reason then don't feel guilty god is not more inclined to listen to us because we are fasting we don't earn god's ear by our works but we we have earned god's ear through the finished work of christ so our fasting doesn't add any merit to our relationship with God. Rather, Christ and His work is all that's needed for our entrance into the throne of grace. Yet, with that said, fasting is a discipline that helps us in our prayer. So fasting is more for us than it is for God, right? Fasting is more to help us to deny a good gift from God, something like food, for a greater uh, joy in God. So it's it's temporary because you, you cannot not eat forever. You're going to die. But it's a temporary denial of one good gift for a greater joy in God. And that's why fasting is so good. Fasting is a way to be serious in our prayer and serious in our seeking after God. And I want to invite you to join me to do that for these next three Sundays. And therefore, we will also be doing this mini series on prayer in the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to do that for three weeks and studying what, how we pray, how Jesus prayed and how he was, his prayer life was exemplified to us, how his prayer was commanded to us and how his prayer was also encouraged to us by his parables. And that for each of those three points, his example, his commandments and his encouragements, we're going to take one Sunday to study that together. So for this Sunday, we're only going to look at the example of Christ. The example of Christ in his prayer life. How, what can we learn if we just look at how he prayed? We're not going to look at his commands or his encouragements. We're only going to look at how did Jesus pray and see how did he pray and then try to apply that to our own lives and say, this is what the perfect man did and therefore we should strive to become like him, our Savior and our Lord. So as I studied this, I, I found three ways, three ways Jesus prayed in the Gospel of Luke that that I think we can draw out from this gospel and learn together. And I just want to clarify, this is not an exhaustive list. So this is not all the ways Jesus prayed. This is just three ways that I found as I and I saw in the gospel of Luke. And the first one is Jesus prayed in solitude. We're going to spend a majority of our time in on that point, the first point. Jesus prayed in solitude. Number two, Jesus prayed without ceasing. And three, Jesus prayed in the Holy Spirit. Jesus prayed in solitude, he prayed without ceasing, and he prayed in 
the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. So the first way Jesus prayed in the Gospel of Luke was that Jesus often prayed in solitude. He prayed in solitude. Now, this is by far the most dominant, dominant thing we see in the Gospel. Look at chapter 4 of Luke, verse 40 to verse 43. Let's read this together. Luke 4, verse 40. Now, when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. <laughs> so we see here Jesus just healed um, Peter's mother-in-law and the news spread quickly. And everybody was bringing their sick and the demon possessed when the sun was setting and Jesus was healing all of them. The next, next morning, people wanted to do this again. They, they found Jesus' popularity grew. Even the next day, just people wanted to come and bring. But what does the text say? What did Jesus do instead? Was he ready to just serve again? Rather, no. We see he, he withdrew into a desolate place and he says, I need to go to other towns and preach for that is why I came. Now, Mark 1 verse 35 tells us why he withdrew to desolate places. Listen to Mark 1 35. Rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. So why did he depart? Why did he withdraw? Why did he go to desolate places? To pray. To pray. To pray with God. And look at chapter 5. We see the same thing. Chapter 5 verse 12 to 16. Just the next chapter. The same pattern happens here. 5 verse 12 says, while he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and what? And pray. Mark's gospel says this withdrawing this time was forced because people were so, he was so popular. Jesus couldn't do public ministry anymore. He had to withdraw. But Luke's gospel says it's also intentional. So he wasn't just forced. He also intentionally withdrew so that he could pray, so that he could be alone. So he was extremely popular with the people. Yet Jesus withdrew to desolate places to pray. You could say Jesus didn't have an itch for human approval. He didn't have an itch to be to, to, for the applause of men. He had, a, he had an itch to be alone with God. That was why, where his heart was. To be alone with God in sweet prayer and communion with Him. He wasn't seeking human popularity. He desired God's presence even more than that. Look at chapter 6, verse 11. Chapter 6, verse 11. Another example. So the Pharisees were filled with fury and disgust with one another what they might do to Jesus. Verse 12. And these, in these days, he went out to the mountain to pray. And all night, he continued in prayer to God. So in the days when the religious leaders were seeking out to kill him, Jesus withdrew to the mountain. And he went and he prayed all night to God. You might say, why? For what? Look at the next verse. Look at verse 13. Verse 13 says, And when day came, he called his disciples. <laughs> you see, Jesus was praying all night because the next day he is going to choose his disciples. He was probably praying for his disciples, praying for them, while he was preparing himself and them through prayer. Look at one more example. Look at chapter 9, verse 18. One more example of Jesus' prayer in solitude. 9, verse 18. 9, 18 says, Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he asked them, Who do the crowd say that I am? Right? You, you know the story? They say all these different, different titles, and Jesus says, But who do you say that I am? And, and Peter gave that watershed 
confession. You are the Christ, the Son of God. And yet, what did he do just before that? Just before revealing, you could say, his identity to the disciples. It was like a turning point in his ministry. Like they, they had to know he's the, he's the Christ. But right after that, he said as well, I am going to die and be killed and hand over. So I'm not just the Messiah. I'm the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. I'm going to die for the sins of my people. And what did he do before that? He prayed. Again, prayed how? Verse 18 says, praying alone. So you see, it's almost like Jesus, there's a pattern. There's a pattern here of praying alone, both for himself, for communion with God, and also for others, to prepare others for prayer, to, to pray for them. So one thing is clear when we see, this is not even all the examples. I just picked out some of those important ones. We see one thing is clear from Jesus' example in his prayer life here is that one major component of his prayer life is the discipline of solitary prayer the discipline of being alone with god both for communion with god and for preparation for what is to come so for this i just want to draw out one implication one implication for us from this and that is this the principle we need to learn from jesus's prayer life is this just like Jesus, we too need solitude for our prayer lives to flourish. Just like Jesus, you and I, we need solitude for our prayer lives to flourish. Again, remember, we're seeing Jesus here as our Savior, as the perfect man, as our example. As he lived, we should say, we want to follow, we want to we want to see how we can mimic and how we can become like him in all his ways. And one of those ways was to pray alone. He's the ideal man. And what the ideal man does is to pray in solitude. And we see that he frequently sought out these moments to be alone with God. And it almost seems when he was the busiest, he made more effort to be alone with God. So that, that day when he was healing the whole day, healing when the sun was setting, that next day he woke up early to pray. Because he knew he needed it. And we see that as an example. When he was more busy, he prayed more, right? Or he was more desirous, at least, to be alone with God because he knew he needed it. In Matthew's gospel, what we see as an example in Luke's gospel, he actually gives us a command. Jesus gives us a command to be alone. Listen to Matthew 6, verse 6. He says, when you pray, go into your room and do what? Shut the door Pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. So I suspect that it is right here where we fail the most. You and I might pride ourselves that we pray throughout the day or we pray before we eat or there's these key moments in our days when we pray. But if without this element, without the element of solitary prayer, your spiritual life is decaying and dying. Without solitary prayer, your spiritual life is decaying and dying. Like a marriage relationship, you need time alone for your marriage to flourish. You need only you and your wife to be alone, to be focused on one another, to, be, to know one another intimately. Just to share, I remember there was a time when I and Deborah, that I, I, I only spent time with Deborah with other people. There was a time like that. You know, we were friendly with each other. We served one another in different ways. But it always felt like there was something missing in our relationship. Because we were kind of always together. But it was like we were growing further and further away from one another. And it was simply because we neglected this thing. We didn't spend quality time alone together. We were always either with our kids or with our friends together but we weren't together without our kids without our friends just eye to eye contact talking and knowing one another in our companionship and when we were dating i remember i mean think about that time when you were if you are married before you were married right it almost this element of being alone is almost natural right it's it's almost like that's all you want to do i remember being irritated when I'm with Deborah, with other people, I'm like, I don't want to talk to you guys. I want to talk to Deborah. I want to be with her, right? There was that loving itch to know Deborah and to get to know her on a personal level that I just can't do with other people. 
And in marriage, I thank God that that opportunity to know her is a lot. So we, are, we can actually have a lot of that solitary time together. But beloved, my point is this. Just like our relationships, especially in our marriages, needs to flourish by solitary companionship and intimacy, so as well, our relationship with God needs that element of being alone. If you only know God with other people, you too will be drifting further and further and further away with Him, from Him. You might, be like, you be, you might become like that Pharisees who, who would praise God with their lips, but their hearts are far away from Him. It's almost like having a second-hand relationship with God, knowing God through other people, but not knowing God yourself, not emptying your heart in prayer alone with God yourself. So this is actually a test of your intimacy, your love, your relationship with God. And your motive should be the same, like my motive when I was dating and still now, is you, want, you need to know God. You want to know who He is. You want to empty your heart before Him. You want to hear God speak to you through His Word. You want to humble yourself before Him by casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. That should be your motive. And that's why we need solitary time alone with God. Now, let me give you two practical ways to do this. Because you might say, but how in the world do I pursue this solitary prayer? It feels so difficult. It feels so impossible to do this. Let me give you two practical suggestions. Two practical suggestions to be able to pursue God in solitary prayer. Firstly, I'm convinced that you need to fight for your mornings to be alone with God. Fight for your mornings to be alone with God in prayer. Now, even though this is not a command in Scripture, you won't find a verse that says, you must be in, with God alone in the morning. Yet, we see the example of Jesus and we see the example of the psalmist as well. The psalmist, you could see, if you read the Psalms, you see there's this urgency to be with God in prayer in the mornings. Listen to these few Psalms about prayer in the mornings with God alone. Psalm 5 verse 3 says, O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. Psalm 59 verse 16. But I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning. For you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. Psalm 88 verse 13. But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning my prayer comes before you. Do you see the pattern here? The pattern in the psalm seems to be this. Pray in the morning, meditate on God's love, and then thank God in the evening for His faithfulness. So pray in the morning, thank Him in the night. Right? That's almost the pattern. Look at there's one psalm as well. Psalm 92, verse 1 to 2. Psalm 92 is 1 to 2. It says, It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. You hear? In the morning, declare the love of God. Think about the love of God. And at night, declare His faithfulness. When you look back over your day, you can see God's faithfulness. That's the pattern. Now, I know that for some of you listening, this is impossible. You might say, okay, I would love to, but I just physically can't, cannot do this. I'm thinking here maybe of a mother, like Deborah maybe, with small kids. Like, she's already sleeping little, and now... When she's awake, the kids are awake. And once the kids are awake, you, you feel like you're just running with the kids. And when you put them in bed, you're so tired, you just want to fall down on your bed as well. So I feel like, how can I find this time when, when my kids are just so busy and so active? Or maybe you're like Phil, who has to wake up at 4 a.m. in the morning just to be on time at the work, right? So whether you are a mom or a Phil or someone like them that feels like you just cannot get that first thing in the morning... Let me give you the second best. So I think the best is wake up before everybody else and try to see God. But let me give you at least the second best. Second best, I would say, is that first moment of the day when you do have time to be alone. Use it. Use it. Even if you have to go to the bathroom for 10 minutes, go to the bathroom for 10 minutes to be alone, to pray. So the irony is that although some of us we do not have that first thing in the morning to be alone with God. We always have that first moment in the morning 
to be alone with God. Use that moment. So maybe you, you, your alarm goes off and you keep snoozing, you keep snoozing, and you feel so guilty because you've skipped your quiet time. But then if you go to work or if you go wherever you go, just have it at the back of your mind. Where can I squeeze in a moment of my day to just be alone from everybody else so that I can pray and, and be in solitude? Like God is gracious. God is patient with us, even in this area, I think. And I think in this case, the saying is true. If there is a will, there will be a way. If there is a will, you will make a way to be alone with God. Even with a very busy life, that there will be a way if there's a will. And I think here, that's the sad truth. Maybe you cannot find a time because there's no desire in you to find a time. There's no will to pray. And if that's you, if that's you, repent. Repent right now of that prayerlessness, the no desire for prayer. Seek God's mercy. Seek His grace to forgive you of your lay, spiritual laziness. Ask Him to forgive you and to give you a steadfast heart and to create in you a new heart that will seek God in solitary prayer. So that's the first practical thing I want to suggest to be able to seek God in solitary prayers. Fight. Fight for your mornings. Fight for the mornings to give your heart to the Lord in prayer. Second practical suggestion to fight, to have that solitary time with God alone is not just should we fight for our mornings, but we should consciously push away any distractions in the mornings, all right? Or whenever you have that time, push away consciously any distractions so that you can have space in your heart and your mind to pray. I'm busy reading a great book by Tony Ranke. Ranke, I think it's Ranke. Um, 12 Ways Your Phone Is Changing You. It's a wonderful book, and all of you should read it. If you own a phone, you should read that book. 12 Ways Your Phone Is Changing You. And he found, he, he did a research that the majority of Christians looks at their social media first thing in the morning, before they do anything else, before spiritual disciplines, before prayer, before barbering, they check their Facebook, they check their messages, they check all these other things. And let's be honest here, right? It gets quite, it gets hard to ignore your phone if your phone is your bank, your alarm, your messages, your emails, your entertainment, your social media, your games, and about everything else, right? Your phone is almost everything. So what we need to do is when we wake up to consciously push away all those distractions that might, that's fighting for our attention in those early mornings, in those waking moments, to make room in our hearts and in our minds for God. Push back the thousand distracting thoughts rushing towards you first thing in the morning so that you can give your first thoughts to God himself. When we wake up, I think we are at our most vulnerable. Our hearts are sleepy and ready to worship. Our hearts are hungry for glory. We want to see glory. We want to taste glory. Our hearts are needy and thirsty and hungry and it's so easy to just instinctively grab our phones for satisfaction to grab our phones to satisfy those desires of our hearts youtube twitter instagram facebook or even games is simply more entertaining than praying it's simply easier to do than to set aside everything put your phone on silent put it upside down and then just to pray it's easier to do that in the same book, Tony Ranke wrote and says, Compared to the latest game or streaming television series, staring at black and white shapes, like reading the Bible or reading a book, for several hours seems like a silly investment. We have been initiated into a kind of entertainment convenience that makes books feel downright outdated, inconvenient, and far too demanding. End quote. To read the Bible book by book, to spend long time in solitary prayer is way too boring for us than the customized distractions of our phones. Customized distractions of our phones made exclusively for what we like, for what we have clicked in the past. Ranky also wrote and says, Pastor Tim Keller was once asked online, why do you think that young Christian adults struggle most deeply with God as a personal reality in their lives. And he replied, noise and distraction. 
it is easier to tweet than to pray, <laughs> end quote. Beloved, I th- here we just need to be honest with ourselves. Here we just need to look at our lives and say, be honest with where we are at. Perhaps it's not your phone or social media. Perhaps it's other good Christian books that's distracting you from prayer. You see, this can be anything. This can be good things. It doesn't just have to be, you know, like, I don't know, entertainment or other things like that. Perhaps it's something good keeping you from that sweet, extended and solitary communion with God through prayer and the meditating on his word. So here is another fight we need to fight. Here's another area we need to protect and guard our hearts. Fight to meet with God first thing in the morning and then fight to push back all distractions or as many as you can so that you can save, make space and make room in your heart to be alone with God. So beloved, hear God's word this morning. We like Jesus. We need time alone with God. And that is an awesome privilege to meet the God of the universe every day in prayer. That's the first way. The first way Jesus prayed was Jesus prayed often in solitary moments. Second way Jesus prayed, he didn't just pray in solitary in solitude. Sorry, he also prayed without ceasing. He also prayed, secondly, without ceasing. Now, you could probably use all of those verses I've just quoted in Luke to say, you see, he also prayed without ceasing, right? So that's also easy way to prove that he, he always prayed. But there's another verse in Luke that shows it in a different way. Look at chapter, Luke chapter 3, verse 21. Look at Luke 3, verse 21. Luke 3:21 says, "Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, "You are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased." Did you did you catch that little phrase? Only Luke adds that little phrase that while Jesus was being baptized, he was also praying. So here, Jesus wasn't alone. Jesus wasn't praying in solitude. He was praying with many people around him. At this moment, he was busy praying to God. Now, you could say, yeah, it was a special moment. But rather, we also see that he had a mind, he had a heart that was always praying throughout the day. He wasn't just praying in solitude. He prayed throughout his day. So he was a man who prayed without ceasing at key moments in his day, in his life as well. Now, to illustrate another example of this, how this looks like, consider Nehemiah. Um, this is my favorite Old Testament example of a man that was also always praying. Look at Nehemiah in um, Nehemiah 2 verse 2. Nehemiah 2 verse 2. It says, And the king said to me, remember um, Nehemiah was the cupbearer, um, the cupbearer of the king. He says, Now the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very, very much afraid. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? And then it, the text says, so I prayed to the God of heaven. I prayed to the God of heaven. Again, in a, in a split moment, in a split second at that conversation, Nehemiah could stop in his mind and his heart and just lift up his eyes to God, lift up his eyes to heaven in his heart and pray and ask God for help. You see, he was in the middle of a conversation. He was in the middle of talking to somebody. But yet in that moment, he had the time and the mentality to just pray and ask God in those few split seconds. That prayer had to last a few seconds, right? He couldn't have, he couldn't have stopped prayed for half an hour, come back. No, it was in the conversation that he prayed like that. And that's what I think it looks like to pray without ceasing. It's this constant prayer throughout the day. We should not just have these extended periods of time in prayer, but we should have a prayerful heart and a mind throughout. While you are busy working, ask God to work as if for him and not for man. While you are when you are particularly tired, ask God for the strength you need to endure and to do what is right. When you are joyful, rejoice in God and thank God. 
When you are talking to someone about their life or about their soul, ask God to give you the words to say, to encourage and to show them the glory of Jesus. You see, so this type of prayer can happen throughout the day in various ways. Now, let me just clarify here because I do not think to pray without ceasing means that we should pray every minute of every moment of your waking day. And that's not what God is asking you to do. That is not what it means to pray without ceasing. Because if he did, if he had to ask us to pray without a moment's break, we would not be humans. Right? We cannot pray and fulfill all the other duties that God has given us. We are, it's humanly speaking impossible. And God doesn't condemn us for being human. Because he made us human, right? He condemns us for our sin. He condemns us for our rebellion. But not for being human, for needing to sleep, for needing to eat, for needing to focus on one thing at a time. Like, we should not be a multitasker in this sense, right? It's, it's, you can't do that. He doesn't despise you if you have to focus on one thing at a time because that's the way he made us. You know, that I, think, I think sometimes people are not honest with themselves when they say, Ah, oh, I, I can multitask. I can look at my phone, WhatsApp, Facebook, and listen. But the reality, have you noticed that like when people do that, they just lie, right? They don't, they don't have a conversation with you. They're like distracted all the time. Or like you look up and you realize, oh, I haven't listened to one word. So th that's just human. We can't do two things at the same time. We really, really struggle. We need our attention to be focused on one thing at a time. So that's what I'm saying. The reason I'm saying that to you is because sometimes all you should do is to focus on one thing. When you are busy with surgery, cutting open a patient, you shouldn't be focusing on your Bible verse you read that morning. You should be focusing on that surgery, right? When you are busy with a particular perplexing problem in your studies and you are wrestling with a, a difficult topic, you should be focusing on that and not focusing on anything else. Rather, so what we mean when we say we should pray without ceasing is that it's more the attitude of our hearts. It is what you do in that moment of mental relief. The moment your mind has space to think, to go free, it returns quickly to the God of your life, to prayer, to prayer and communion. That's what I mean. It means that those key moments in your day, key moments at your work, key moments in your conversation, key moments when you're struggling or tired or a had a difficult day, you turn to God in a quick prayer asking Him for help. So that's what I think it means to pray without ceasing. Now here again, we face a serious challenge to do this well. And I want to return to Tony Ranke's book, 12 Ways Your Phone Is Changing You, because our phones is not just um, dangerous in the mornings, our phones are also dangerous right throughout the day. So it doesn't just stop us and rob us from spending quality alone time with God. It also threatens to swallow up all those little gaps in our day where we can just quickly pray and quickly have communion with God throughout the day. So this, and this doesn't just affect your relationship with God, it also affects your relationship with other humans, with other people. Again, Tony Renke writes and he says, digital technology must not fill up all the silent gaps of your life. And that's really what it does, right? What is the easiest thing to do when you are, have a break? You just grab your phone. That's like so instinctive. Now, I'm not saying we should never do that, right? I'm just saying that we should just be aware of that, that that is what our phones is busy doing to us. It grabs and it swallows up all those little attention and little gaps of our day so that we don't pray at all. But listen, he says, so as Christians, we push back our phones in the morning in order to protect our solitude so that we can know God and so that we can reflect him as his children. And we push back our phones during the day in order to build authentic eye-to-eye -eye trust with the people in our lives and in order to be sharpened by difficult relationships, hard relationships. So again, I just want to say I'm not advocating a kind of being a techno monk, right? Many of you are watching this on technology, on your phone or on your laptop. That's not my point. I, I don't want us to withdraw from the world or to not have the world. I just want you to be honest with yourself about the effects of our technology in our phones on our lives, especially when it comes to prayer. Let me ask you this question. Could your spiritual life be withering, be decaying, simply because you hate being bored? 
Could your spiritual life be withering and decaying and dying because you hate being bored? Could you struggle to pray without ceasing because you instinctively always grab your phone or something else or someone else instead of God instinctively for that relief? Our phones, like all of God's gifts, are good gifts, but they are dangerous gifts. I mean, it's so good. It's dangerous, right? Marriage is a good and a dangerous gift. Money is a good and a dangerous gift. Our phones are a good and a dangerous gift. It's so good, we make idols of them. And we should say, no, they are not that. They are not what's going to satisfy me. Only Jesus is the one that can satisfy me and my heart. So let me ask you this. To what do you run to instinctively for those moments in your quiet gaps in your life for relief for joy for refuge for protection for identity what or to whom do you run to may we learn to run to god and to find our all in all in him through prayer throughout the day without ceasing so jesus prayed in solitude jesus prayed without ceasing but the the final way that jesus prayed that we can learn from that Jesus also prayed in the Holy Spirit. Jesus prayed in the Holy Spirit. Look at Luke chapter 10. Look at Luke. Look at Luke, right? <laughs> Look at Luke chapter 10 verse 21. Luke 10 21 says, In that same hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Such was your gracious will. You see, Jesus was praying here, but it almost seems like a spontaneous and an outburst of joyful prayer in the Holy Spirit, right? That is given by the Spirit. Only Luke actually says of this prayer that it was done in the Spirit. The other gospel just says Jesus gave thanks. But here Luke goes behind, he goes deeper, he says this was produced spontaneous, joyful prayer by the Spirit. As, as Romans, 10, Romans 14 verse 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So you might say, how do we do, how do we pray in the Spirit? What does that look like? How does that look like practically? How does the Spirit lead us? How does the Spirit fill us so that we, at those moments, like spontaneously just burst out into joyful and thankful prayer? Well, I think there's a clue in our text. Look at for what Jesus gave thanks specifically, right? So there's a couple of key words I want you to see. Look at chapter 10 verse 21 again. He says, I thank you, Father. Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. He's, pray he's thanking God for his salvation that he has given to those whom he, the Father and whom he has chosen. So this is a joyful prayer over one, salvation, but also what we see, he says, for such was your gracious will. This is the revealed will of God. And he thanks God for this. The Spirit led Jesus to give thanks for God's will. That's simply what it is. Jesus knew his will and the Spirit led him to rejoice in God's will. Now for us, it's the same thing. The Spirit will lead us to God's will. And as we study his will, we will rejoice in spontaneous prayer as well. And what is the revealed will of God for us? It's the scriptures. It's the Bible. It's as we take in the Bible and as we meditate on the Bible, as we see God's grace revealed in the Bible, we too will bless God and rise up in joyful prayer. And, and I, I make this connection also because of Paul in Ephesians 6 verse 17 to 18. Ephesians 6 verse 17 to 18, Paul is talking about the armor of God. And the last piece of the armor is what? The sword of the Spirit. And then right after that, he says in Ephesians 6 verse 18, Praying at all times 
in the spirit. You see now he says, take the sword of the spirit. And then he says, pray at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So the word of God, prayer and the Holy Spirit are intimately connected. The word of God, prayer and the Holy Spirit is intimately connected. So here's my one sentence answer to the question, what does it mean to pray in the spirit? Here's my one sentence answer. I'm going to give I'm going to repeat it twice. To pray in the spirit means to read and meditate on the sword of the spirit, which is the Bible, in dependence on the spirit until it overflows in spontaneous and joyful prayer led by the spirit. Let me say that again. To pray in the Spirit means to read and meditate on the sword of the Spirit, in dependence on the Spirit, until it overflows in spontaneous and joyful prayer led by the Spirit. That's what it means to pray in the Spirit. Beloved, if you struggle to pray, it might be that you are trying to pray without the Bible. That might be one of the reasons you're struggling to pray. It's because you're trying to pray without the Bible. You cannot divorce prayer and the Bible. What God has joined together, let no man separate. In fact, I think this also is the missing link between our, our lives, our, our prayer lives. We do not connect what we've read with what we pray. And you know what's the bridge between the word and prayer? It's meditation. It's meditation. Thinking deeply in the presence of God over what he has said. Slowing down in our reading so that our meditating on the word becomes spontaneous and overflowing in joyful prayer and thanks to God. This is how Jesus prayed, beloved. As we look at Luke, this is what it means to follow Jesus as well. It's to pray in solitude, to pray without ceasing, and also to pray in the Holy Spirit, thanking God for his revealed gracious will that he has given us in the scriptures. So follow Jesus. Look at his example and become like him. I want to close with this last exhortation, this last exhortation. For some of you, while listening to me, you haven't prayed for so long alone. You can't remember the last time you've prayed alone with God. When you are going to start doing this, you're going to have this horrible feeling. And it's going to be this. You're going to feel like you are talking to a stranger. When you haven't prayed for a long, long time, when you want to try and pray again, it's going to feel like you are talking to a stranger. You maybe even want to praise him, but you feel like you don't have the words to praise him. And when you pray, there's this overwhelming sense of guilt because of this estrangement between you and God. You feel guilty because you know that God is always faithful. So if you are far away from God, the fault is yours, not God's. And the devil often takes this good guilt, which is meant to lead you to repentance and to God, and he multiplies it with a thousand lies about that God doesn't love you and that you cannot be saved and you cannot approach his throne because you have just sinned too many times or failed too many times. If that's you, here is, once, here is the solution to that. Remember the gospel. Remember the gospel. Does God listen to you? Because you have been faithful. You have been praying and meditating on his word. Is that why God listens to you? Does God love you because you have not missed one Bible reading in the morning? No. It is not your good works which makes you loved and acceptable by God. But the good works of Christ. The death of Christ. And the resurrection of Christ. That makes us loved and acceptable to God. So how would you pray if you knew you do not have to impress God? How would you pray if you knew you do not have to prove yourself to God in some way through your prayer? How would you approach the throne of grace knowing that all of your sins have been placed upon Jesus on the cross? It's gone. It's paid. You don't have to pay for it anymore. 
Because the holy judge has satisfied his wrath on the cross on Jesus. This is how Jesus taught us to pray. We will look at that next week. He says, our Father who is in heaven. That's the way we must begin, meditating on our Father. He is, that refers to our adoption. We were enemies of God, yet God made us His children through the blood of His Son. He reconciled us to Himself through Jesus. So God Himself made a way for us to approach His throne, not by our works or what we have done, but by the finished work of Christ. So for you, if you haven't prayed for a long time, repent, turn back, Turn, come back to the Father like the prodigal son running to Him. And you will find the Father embracing you, not judging you and condemning you because Jesus has been judged and condemned in your place on the cross. And maybe for the first time you need to do that. Maybe for the very first time you need to come to God by grace through faith in Jesus. And your sins will be forgiven and you will be adopted into His family. And then spend time to know God in prayer, like Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we, we thank you for your word that pierces our hearts and shows us our weaknesses, our sins. And Thank you that we don't have to run away from you because of our sins and our prayerlessness, but that we can run to you because you are a gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Because Jesus died, Jesus rose, and Jesus lives to make intercession for us. Thank you that you love us always because of what Jesus has done and not because of what we have done. Father, please, I pray that you will break the power of our laziness, break the power of our addictions to entertainment and to other things, distractions. Help us in the mornings to fight for our prayer and our time alone with you. Help us to push back our distractions. Help us to pray without ceasing throughout the day and help us to pray and teach us what it means to pray in the Holy Spirit as we depend on the Spirit to joyfully pray and praise you father i pray that we would use this day as a day of prayer to pray for our government to pray for those different items i've mentioned father we would truly seek your face together as a church as we worship and love you and seek your grace for us lord thank you that you never change and that you are faithful that we can find you by grace we pray this all in your son's wonderful name amen